Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles tonight. Ephesians chapter number 5. I hope you're getting excited about family month at our church and that um, whether you have a big family, little family, you're the only one in your family, I hope you'll come all month long. There will be plenty to gain and glean uh, from the uh, sermons that are preached this month and will help you to um, help you to grow closer to the Lord and, 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 and in various relationships. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 5, and then verse 18, and we'll read down through verse number 23. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The title this evening is this, Husbands Leading with a submissive spirit, leading with a submissive spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd help guide my thoughts and my words. Lord, would you speak uh, to us? And Lord, may this not be anything about me, but Lord, all about you tonight. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. May that be our mantra and our plea. Lord, would you move in our hearts? There are little girls in the room who... Um, dream of getting married one day. May a sermon like this help them see what kind of man they ought to marry. Or there are husbands in the room that have been married for just a few months and some that have been married for 30 and 40 years. May we never stop growing and becoming more like you in this area of being a husband. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to guide our thought, to be with us. Lord, would you move in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, there's an old phrase. I don't know who to always give credit to these old phrases. Uh, you'll hear an old phrase and you'll hear four or five different preachers' names mentioned as far as who gets the credit for it. So, I believe Lee Robertson gets the credit for this phrase. But uh, who knows? Could have come out before him. If you know it, I want you to finish it for me, Okay. And it's not on your bulletin there. I'll give you some of those in a minute. But uh, here's the phrase. Everything rises and falls on what? Leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, I'm going to give you the opposite thought here. Everything rises and falls on fellowship. That really is sort of what this message is about tonight. Um. The supreme leader of all leaders is God. Is God pretty reliable or what? I don't think He's going to let us down, is He? So if everything rises and falls on leadership, then why is the world falling apart if God's the perfect leader? I guess not everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, 
I would make the statement that everything rises and falls on fellowship. Now, the fallacy in the statement is the word everything. All right? And I understand the, the point that Dr. Robertson was making. I am in no place to critique him. He, he was a great man, did a great work, and, and far exceeded anything that I have become or probably ever will become as far as a pastor or a leader. Uh, but everything uh, rises and falls on leadership or followership. The leader's ability to follow greatly determines the leader's ability to lead. Hey, let's fill in the blanks there on your outline. Let's put some quotes up on the screen here. You cannot be a great leader until you first learn to be a great follower. You cannot be a great leader until you first learn to be a great follower. I've watched many men work in many churches as assistant pastors in the places I've been. And the ones that followed the best went on to be great leaders. Those who didn't want to follow the leader, buck instruction and do their own thing, boy, they struggled with leadership in more than one area of their life. That doesn't just fit the church world. I worked at Burger King. That was one of my first jobs. I worked at Burger King. Manny's lettuce, tomato, pickle, ketchup, onion on a sesame seed bun. Boy, I could make those Whoppers lightning fast. And uh, I could do it your way also. Um, I had it down. But I watched. I watched the other employees. Some were very good at doing what the supervisor or manager said and others weren't. Guess which ones got promoted to supervisor? Those that were good followers ended up becoming great leaders. To all of the husbands here today, I think where we err oftentimes is we look at our wife's shortcomings and we say, if she would just be better in this area and that area, boy, leading would sure be a lot easier. And I would ask you, what kind of follower are you? What kind of follower are you at work? What kind of follower are you when God puts His finger in an area of your life that needs to change? You may be here tonight, you may own a business. <laughs> we have a few men in the room that way tonight. You may own a business or you may be the top guy in the office. Uh, you may not give account to anybody at work. Per se, there's not a single person you answer to. The truth is, single uh, small business owners, they answer to their customers. Right, guys? You answer your customers. You don't do that right, you'll be out of business real quick. Uh, but there's not that single person you answer to. It's, it's You're kind of on your own. And then you go home and you're the husband and father. And so you leave there. Well, how good of a follower are you when it comes to following God? Let me give you another quote here. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Leadership is not bossing people around. Leadership is not pulling rank on somebody. Leadership is not telling your wife, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit! If you've got to pull that card, you're not leading. You're not leading. Leading by your position is the weakest form of leadership. What is real leadership? Leadership isn't a title. Leadership is influence. You show me your ability to influence others around you, whether or not you have a title, and I'll show you what kind of a leader you are. Now, 
Leaders are both influenced and they influence. Let me say that again. Leaders are both influenced and they influence. At any given time, I am listening to or reading two or three books that are influencing me. I am listening to preaching from other preachers outside of this ministry. Because I'm not going to listen to myself preach, amen? That was supposed to be funny. Um, uh, and so I am being influenced so that I can turn around and properly influence. Influence. Another way of putting this is every leader needs a Paul and every leader needs a Timothy. Every leader needs someone who's leading them and every leader needs someone to lead or to influence. Let me give you another quote here by way of introduction. Show me how submissive you are and I'll show you how well you can lead. Show me how submissive you are and I'll show you how well you can lead. Can you take instructions? Can you do what you're told? Do you have a my way or the highway attitude when it comes to other people? Are you teachable? Are you approachable? There are some people in this auditorium, I wouldn't put my arm around you and try to, try to teach anything on the side. You don't have a teachable spirit. You just don't. Now, most of you do, but there are a few of you in here that don't. If you're not teachable, how are you going to turn around and teach other people? Um, who is the best student? The best student is the teacher. Which... Which person in a classroom setting learns the material the best? Teacher does. Mike, is there a chance that any of the seventh graders you've ever taught math to, the year you taught them math, knew it better than you did? No way. You were teaching it. Pam, Pam Dalton, Rose Okai, no chance those, pe- those people sitting in your class knew the material better than you did. Because to really teach it, you had to study it. To really be a good leader, you must first be a student of being submissive and following. Why is submission so important? Because if you don't know how to submit, then you can't follow. And if you can't follow, then my friend, you have no hope in leading anybody. I want to share with you four thoughts this evening on this idea of leading with a submissive spirit. You have the bullet, you have your, your paper there. And by the way, what I've just covered has nothing to do with, or doesn't necessarily have to just be for being married. There are some women in the room, you have a leadership position at work. Boy, take what I just covered and run with it. Run with it. You want to get promoted at work? There are two ways you can do it in most work environments. You can kiss up to the boss and play office politics. We've all seen that, right? Anybody here ever had someone play office politics and you're like, yeah, that person got musician because they they kissed up to the boss, right? You can play that. You can play that game. You can go that road, or you can just work really hard and have a great spirit about you, have a great attitude about you, and follow the instructions that are given to you and do it your best. Now I know that not every work environment is conducive. Uh, to success, and there are uh, times where things get ugly and nasty. I'm talking more in a normal setup, and so if you have a job 
follow this, be a hard worker, be a Joseph from Genesis, and watch as God promotes you and moves you up. Let's jump in here. Number one, a godly husband is spirit-filled. A godly husband is spirit-filled. Let's go to the scriptures here. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me and look at verse number 18. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, notice the command there, to be filled with the Spirit. This passage, this paragraph in Scripture, precedes instruction on husbands and wives. I gave the word count in my class a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, but there is something like a hundred more words given to husbands from Ephesians 5.21 down through the end of the chapter then there are women. It's something like 134 to the men and 37 to the women. I'm going roundabout out of my head. But it's something along those lines. So, men, if you're going to lead your wife, you're going to love your wife, be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Look at verse 19. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, give, uh, give, giving thanks always for all things, unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me quickly here give you an A, B, and a C on just really practical steps on how to live a Spirit-filled life. Letter A, notice His sins are confessed. His sins are confessed. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. To a man in this room, to a woman in this room, to every human being under the sound of my voice, whether you're online or, or in the room, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all do wrong. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't. Sometimes we lie. Sometimes we may take something that belongs to us, whether it's physical or intellectual, uh, uh, or maybe we hurt someone's feelings or we step out of bounds. We break God's law in some way. God did not give us the law uh, uh, expecting us to be perfect in keeping it. He gave us the law to show us how sinful we are. So what happens when you sin? What happens when you mess up? Do you shrug your shoulders and say, oh well, that's just the way it is. That's just who I am. Oh well, I can't help it. Is that how you act? Or do you drop your head and say, Lord, I stepped out of line with my spirit. I said something I shouldn't have. I lied. I had a lustful thought. I, 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 I was covetous toward an item or a person. Lord, forgive me. Um, I have found that a lot of men have a hard time saying I'm sorry to their wife. A lot of men really struggle there. Let me give you a, 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 uh, a, a, let's see. Let me give you an exercise to go through that will help you at getting good at saying to your wife the words, I'm sorry. Alright? Here's the exercise. Begin by telling God you're sorry when you've sinned. A lot of men who don't know how to tell God they're sorry, or rather don't know how to tell their wife they're sorry, it's because they never really confess to God their shortcomings. If you're willing to humble your heart to your maker, God, who is your leader, and say, hey, I just blew it, I was wrong, there's no excuse for my actions, it would be a whole lot easier to look your wife in the eye and say, I was wrong, I sinned, I messed up, can you please forgive me? And a husband that's not able to do that, I would say, you really need to check and see the last time you got down on your knees and had a true heart-to-heart with God over your sin. You cannot lead anybody, if, uh, spiritually speaking, if you have sin in your heart. Daily, hourly, regularly, we need to get on our knees and we need to confess our sins. 
There are times I'm riding down the road in my car, and I'll turn my radio off, and I'll ride in silence, and I'll say to God in my spirit, God, show me the sins that I have committed since the last time I prayed, and I will confess them right here and right now. While I'm riding down the road, I will talk to God and tell them the things I've done wrong. You want to be spirit-filled men? You want to lead your wife? You want to have influence with your wife? Your wife will follow you if you're spirit-filled. But if you're going to be spirit-filled, you need to confess your sins. Let her be. Notice, his song honors Christ. Look down in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, notice the punctuation at the end of the Spirit. It's a semicolon, meaning this thought continues. So how are we going to be filled with the Spirit? Well, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I love walking around the auditorium during the song service. I'll go to the back sometimes and... I'll come back to the front. I don't always have a reason to walk back there. Then I just want to walk by and, and hear and see who's singing. And some of you men, you have great voices. And some of you don't. Keep on singing. Keep on singing. It doesn't matter if you have uh, a great voice or not. God has commanded us to sing. We need to raise our voice and we need to sing. You come to church, sing corporately. You're in your car, sing and, and praise the Lord. Um, I would just say tonight, you really need to be careful about the music that you're listening to because that shows a lot of what is in your heart. Shows what's in your heart. If your music is that of the world, it's because there is a worldly flair in your heart. If your music is glorifying sin or self, it's because you glorify sin and self. If your music glorifies sensuality and sexuality, that's because you have an issue in those areas. If your music would be labeled in such a way that is a lukewarm in nature and flirtatious with the world and the music of the world, my friend, that is where your heart is. It's time that husbands take their music out of their cars and reset the pre-dials on their radio stations and say, I'm going to listen to music that honors my Savior. You remember David, right? In the Old Testament? David and Saul. Saul was troubled with the Spirit. David didn't go in there with a drum and, and a tambourine and, 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 and smash those things to death and, and play rock music. That's not what he did. What did he go in there to do when Saul's spirit was out of whack? He went in there with a harp. And he played music that was orderly. He, and what happened? There was a soothing spirit that came over King Saul. Men, you want to glorify God with your life? then allow your music to honor the Lord. You want to be Spirit-filled? Confess your sin. Have a song that honors Christ. Let her see. Notice His Spirit is controlled. Go back at Ephesians, before we go over to Galatians 5. Look at Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice the correlation here. Now, I know this has been preached on plenty, and I've got a more mature audience in here tonight, so I won't dwell here a long time. But notice here that to the degree that an alcoholic is controlled by his wine, to that same degree, a Christian ought to be controlled by the Spirit of God. You see a drunk just stupering down the street, falling all over himself, throwing up on his clothes, uh, uh, bambling, uh, rambling off a bunch of stuff that doesn't make 
sense and swinging at, at, at somebody at random. He's totally controlled by his wife. As negative as that is, to the positive, a Christian ought to be controlled by the Spirit of God. You say, well, what does that look like? Go over to Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 22. Just a few pages over there in your Bibles to the left. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Um, as I become Spirit-filled as a husband, I'm going to be able to love my wife. Really, the Holy Spirit's going to be able to love my wife through me. I'm going to have joy during troubled storms. You know what I love about these, um, these nine fruits of the Spirit? Is that when these are not evident in my life, it's a test that tells me I'm not filled with the Spirit. You walk around with, um, with anger and frustration in your heart, you're not filled with the Spirit. Who are you kidding? There ought to be a peace there during storms. You walk around and you're upset and complaining all the time. Where is your joy, Christian? Hey, I'm preaching it myself as much as I am you right now. If you uh, constantly want to swing at people verbally that attack you, you don't have the love of Christ abiding in your soul. Long-suffering, gentleness. Does the word gentleness define us as men? You know, that's where that term gentleman comes from. Husbands are spirit-filled men. Hey, look, we, we don't need to go any further in the sermon than this uh, until we understand that God's called us to be filled with by His Spirit. Now, to every man and boy in the room, let me just uh, broaden it a little wider than that. To every Christian in the room. How many here tonight are saved? Raise your hand if you're saved. Don't be ashamed. Keep them up for me. You're saved? Then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You know something? You can't get any more of the Holy Spirit. You got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get when you got saved. The question isn't, do you have the Holy Spirit? The question is, does He have you? Is He in control or are you in control? Number two, notice a godly husband is submissive. A godly husband is submissive. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 with me. Before we read verse 21, verse 21 is a verse that ties into the passage before and the passage after. This is how you were filled with the Spirit, but this also is the verse that kicks off the section on marriage. Look here, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Who is the one to another? Well, there's a double meaning to this verse. Double meaning to this verse. One to another is, are you submitted to God? And then, are you submitted to your wife? Letter A, notice, first, his God. First, his God. Let's prioritize these. First, his God. It's really easy for a carnal Christian man, a carnal man, a carnal Christian would be an oxymoron, for a carnal man to stand up and say, Woman, submit! 
You know, you may not say that, but is that your attitude? Pastor says, I'm in charge around here. Well, it's not pastor, it's the Bible. Um, boy, if that's your attitude, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. God has called us men to have a submissive attitude toward our God. All right. I'm going to say the harshest thing right here I'm going to say in the whole sermon. But I'm going to say it in a nice way. All right? Could it be, men, that your wives do not submit to you because you do not submit to God? Could it be that if you would learn how to submit to God and follow God, that just maybe your wife would come in line and follow you? To the degree that you follow God and submit to Him, long term now, to that same degree, if your wife is a good godly woman, she'll find it that much easier to follow you. Can we just be honest here? There's a lot of things that go on in a life of a man that's just straight up sin. Some of it we hide and some of it we gloat. To, 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 to a crowd outside of church. And God says, if you're not going to submit to me, you're going to have a really tough time in marriage. What's James 4, 7, and 8 say? Say the verses with me if you know them. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I have found oftentimes in the Christian life, it's not learning new things. It's just putting into practice what we already know. It's putting into practice what we already know. I think a good question for every man in the room tonight to ask themselves is this question. Am I submissive to God? I touched on that last Sunday night when we looked at the blessings of obedience. It really just boils down to, are you obedient to God or not? When he points out something that's wrong in your life, are you quick to fix it or not? Letter B, notice, second, his wife. Second, his wife. Pastor, I thought the Bible said that the wife was supposed to submit to the husband. And the Bible does say that. And we'll get on that another week. Uh, but the Bible also says that husbands and wives are supposed to submit themselves to each other. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another. Notice that phrase at the end. In, in or inside the fear of God. If I'm walking with God and my wife is walking with God, there are going to be times where I need to give in and follow her thought and her idea. And there are times where she's going to need to give in and follow my thought and my ideas. Now, in the grand scheme of things, one day, Angela is not going to stand in front of God and give an account to God for how our marriage went. I will. I will. I will answer to God. And it is my job to ultimately to lead her. But do you know, part of gaining the ground to lead my wife is, is allowing her, uh, allowing myself to be accountable to her. I have my smartphone right here. 
And on my phone, I have shared the location of this device with my wife. You know what that is? That's submitting myself to her. That's saying, if you're ever curious about where I am, pick up your phone and check and see where I'm at. You can call me whenever you want. You can pick up my phone and you can go through it. You can look at my internet history. You can see what apps I've been using. You can see where I've been going. You can see who I've been texting and calling. I could say, I'm the leader! You don't need to know that stuff! No, there needs to be a submissive attitude from me that direction. There needs to be a time where I know that God has given me a help meet to come alongside of me and complete me. And there are some things that she's capable of seeing, uh, understanding, you can call it female intuition if you will, that I will never be able to see and do. And when she comes along my side and she points out things that God is using her words to show me are either wrong in my life or could be better in my life, then it is on me to submit to God's using her in my life. Husbands, would your wife say that you have a submissive spirit? Now, more in a humorous way, um, um, I find I have found it to be helpful in my marriage if I will allow Angela to have her way in the little things, and then she lets me have my way in the bigger decisions that come about. And so, I'm not going to battle with Angela over what restaurant we eat at. We generally think along the same lines of that anyway. I'm not going to battle with her over where the furniture goes, or over what we have for dinner, or over what laundry detergent she uses, or toothpaste type that's in the bathroom. I'm not, or, or, or even down to the toilet paper that we use. Some people say, them are fighting grounds right there. Well, I'm fighting right there. Um, and I'd say, then get your own separate toilet paper. That's really that big of a deal to you. Amen? Uh, but there are some hills I'm not going to die on and I'm going to seed ground and allow her to lead uh, or rather to have her way in those areas. And, and, and then when it's time for me to make a big decision that affects the family, I have found she has no problem coming along and following. A godly husband is spirit-filled. A godly husband is submissive. Number three, a godly husband is a savior is a Savior. Now, I don't want anybody to gasp or think I'm going heretical here. There is a little word in front of Savior, and it is a big deal. I didn't say a godly husband is the Savior. He is the Savior, okay? Is a Savior. And these aren't my words. These are the words of Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. Look at verse number 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, notice the colon, and he, the husband, is the savior of the body. When a husband and wife come together, they are one flesh, the Bible tells us. These two shall become one flesh. Who is supposed to be the savior of that body? Who's supposed to be the one that, uh, that, that, that purifies and redeems and brings that about, it is to be the husband. I'll get on this more when I get on the, the, the sermon with, uh, with, with wives and the power of submission uh, in the weeks to come. By the way, I'm not going to announce and I'm going to preach that. Okay, I'm just going to preach it. And I was telling uh, uh, Eric and Maggie this before church. I taught a Sunday school class in another ministry, and uh, it was a couples class. And I would average like 40 or 45 folks in there. 
And I had planned out messages along the same lines as I'm giving tonight. And I had told the folks, next Sunday, I'm going to talk about being a godly husband. And the following week, I'm going to talk about being a godly wife. The Sunday where I brought the lesson on being a godly husband, we had like 60 in attendance. We averaged 45. We had 60 in attendance. The next week when I brought the message on being a godly wife, we had 10 in attendance. I'm not making that up. Alright? Those women are like, no, you're going to hear what he has to say. Helen is a women's turn. They're like, yeah, I think I'll stay home today. Um, I see who's in charge. I see who's in charge. So I announced this one. I'm not announcing the, uh, the wife sermon. It'll just get dropped on you, uh, out of nowhere there. But, uh, but, um, uh, ladies, um, uh, back on, uh, the, the, the submission thing here, uh, uh well, let me rather, I, you guys got me so off track. I don't even know where I'm at, where I'm going here. Yes, a godly husband is a savior. It is his job to lead the wife to a place of purification. Now, let me, let me say this. A lot of men, they get married, and their whole goal in being married is to have fun. Please hear me. Have fun. Boy, I got my wife companion, and it's all going to be awesome. And yeah, there will be some squabbles along the way, but hey, when can we get to the next weekend getaway? When can we have our next vacation? When can we save up and finally retire and just lay back and have the easy life? And that is the thought process of a lot of men is how much money can I accrue and how much fun will that buy for my wife and I to enjoy? Now, I'm all for husbands and wives going away on weekend getaways and I'm all for vacations and and I'm all for retirement enjoying the money that you stowed up. But my friend, you didn't marry each other to have fun. You married each other to prepare each other for eternity. One day, my wife is going to live in heaven, and she's not going to be married to me when she gets up there. She'll be all on her own. She's going to stand in front of God. She's going to give an account to God for her life. It is my job to prepare that young lady right there to stand before God and do so in a way that is most proper. And every decision I make here on earth needs to be with that thought in mind. One day I'm going to stand in front of God and give an account on my own. And she's helping to prepare me for that day. Do you consider your marriage with eternity in mind? Are you the Savior of your marriage, sir? The the flesh, the one flesh that God has given you with that wife of yours. Letter A, notice her purification. Look back at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, or rather verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, Jesus, or rather Paul is drawing a beautiful parallel in this passage of the husband is to the wife what Christ is to the church. What he's saying here is, I created the institution of marriage to give you a picture of how much I love the church. And God is saying here, through the, uh, the hand of Paul, husbands, you're to love your wife on the same level that Christ loved the church, and you're to do the same things, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Boy, if you don't have verse 26 underlined or memorized, I'd really recommend, men, that you underline and memorize that verse. That he might sanctify, sanctify, that means to make holy. I'd refer you back to the video I showed in church this morning. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. 
Letter B, notice her presentation. I believe these two fit together. I've I got to be honest, I don't know how it's all going to work when we get to heaven and, and God judges us. I, I don't know how it's all going to work or what that's going to look like or what the structure of it will be. But I wonder if God will not allow me to take my wife by the hand and walk her up there to that place of judgment. And I won't be able to say to God, here is the woman that you entrusted to my care. I'm presenting her to you. She's going to stand before you and be judged by the works of her life. Oh my. What an awesome responsibility. Boy, that is a trembling thought to have. Are the actions of your marriage, sir, lining up in such a way that are purifying her and presenting her? If a wife wants to watch filth on TV, boy, the husband needs to very kindly stand his ground. The wife wants to get involved in activities that are sinful in nature. The husband needs to stand his ground and say, my job is to sanctify you and wash you with the water of the word. Letter, or number four, notice, a godly husband is selfless. Is selfless. Look at Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. I finish up with this. The Bible says, So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Alright, we're going to do something here. This will be very unorthodox in the middle of our service. If you are a man, 18 and up, I want you to stand up for me. Okay? Stay standing for a minute. Okay? Take a good look at all of you. I'm drawing one solid conclusion right now. Well, I'm drawing a couple solid conclusions right now. Um... But the, book, the one I'm going to draw right here is that you are all really good at feeding yourselves. That's me included. You can be seated. Nobody in here starving to death. You know what us men do when we want to eat? We eat. Now, I know that a few of you in here might be the exception to that, but we eat. Some of you in here are taking really good care of yourself uh, in the gym. Some of you are taking really good care of yourself at the refrigerator. But all of us are taking really good care of ourselves. Now, here is a very important lesson to remember when it comes to marriage. When I fight with my wife, I'm not only hurting her, I am hurting me. When I build up my wife and I love on my wife, I'm not only building her up, I'm building myself up. Because we are one. These two shall become one flesh. These two shall become one flesh. The more selfless love I can pour on my wife, the more love I will in turn pour back on myself. Now, we live in an instantaneous 
gratification society to where if I love all my life and I don't get it back in five minutes, well, I'm not doing that again. Hey, you may need to love on your wife for weeks, months, and even years before it comes pouring back on you. But I promise you that if you have a wife that loves God and you're pouring your love on her, and you're working the way the Bible says to cherish her and nourish her the way you do your own flesh, boy, then you're going to have a marriage that honors God in every way. To the men in the room tonight, that would be me included, I ask this question. Are we Spirit-filled? Are you submissive to Him? Can you say that you are really working to prepare your wife to stand before the Savior? Or is it just marriage just all about having fun? Marriage is just about getting by. Maybe you're one of these guys that lives in the past, the has-beens. Oh, it was fun, but now we just put up with each other. No, 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 no. You're the Savior of that body. You're to prepare her to stand before the Savior in heaven. Are you selfless or are you selfish? I had a pastor's wife tell me. She said, she said Richard, I am not a, a counselor, a professional counselor in any way. She said, but I have people come to me and ask me for marital advice. And she said, I give them some of the simplest marital advice I can give. But she says, it's the only advice I think is actually helpful. She said, I look at two people and I say to them, stop being selfish and start being selfless. And if you'll both commit to that, your marriage will be happy. Lord, I do ask that you move in our hearts tonight, move in our midst. God, we cannot be the church you want us to be if the men are not leading, if the men are not spirit-filled. I pray, God, tonight that you would help us to re-evaluate, hit a reset button, and follow your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.